It was clear that someone had been living there. There were blankets, there were personal items like shaving cream and things that someone had been using. This man had been walking around, going to the merchandise store, wearing the merchandise, and going where the food is kept, and really just made himself at home in the stadium. <laughs> it's a guy who was uh, crashing in a soccer stadium, I guess, and, and living there. Actually sounds fairly pleasant. If I could get a ball, I'd probably get out on the field and kick it around. Homeless dude who just decided to live in one of the luxury suites at the stadium. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Huh. Wander over to the concession area, fry yeah. up a corn dog. <laughs> yeah. Nachos. Yeah. <laughs> Want the uh, large beer and a small one today? Yeah, I'll, I'll get the large one. Use any of the 20 giant bathrooms with 30 stalls each? Yes, and they're clean. <laughs> you know, it's funny that, that uh, we decided to play that tape right then. I was just looking up at the, the TV, and uh, what do you call it with what's-her-name and uh, the other guy was on. Oh, very mm. descriptive. And, uh, That's a good show. <laughs> no, it's the they're Ke- good together. They've got good chemistry. Uh, Kelly and Ryan. What's, what's, the, what's the name of that show? Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. I think it's just called Kelly and Ryan. Yeah, okay. live with Kelly and Ryan. Live with it, it was Regis and Kathy, then it was Regis and Kelly, the late great Regis Philbin, and now it's uh, uh, Kelly and Ryan. Uh, she <laughs> nice to see Ryan Seacrest finally catch a break. Yeah, well, they uh, <laughs> they're doing the show from their respective homes, and she looks precisely like she's always looked on TV. Dressed, made up, hair exactly the same, looks fabulous. Lighting looks the same. He is looking more and more like a guy who just wandered out of your tool shed and you realize (laughs) he's been living there. He looks like he's living down by the river. Well, remember when his eye went funky a couple weeks ago? Yeah, he got the funky eye. There's There were some uh, like New York Post-style rumors that he is really overworking himself and the friends are concerned for his health yeah which but may be 100 percent true or 100 made up yeah very well could be true though yeah uh, he works insane hours and they're talking about his radio show and his daily taping of the tv show and you know all the stuff that he does and the travel and this and that and he just he just blowing out his he blew out his eye <laughs> plus the stress of rocking that mustache he's got and i'm not that guy to you know you do you you want to rock a mustache do it it looks a little, I don't know, questionable. A little mustache starter kit. I don't even know if that's yeah. a, we well, can call he, that a stash. He's got like a week's worth of beardal growth, too. He's just really well, adopted his, the letting himself go look, his, which I appreciate. His hair looks like it just, he's fresh out of bed. Yeah. I think, so there were stories that, or was that, that was fairly nailed down that he was drunk on something, right? He was either drunk or had a stroke or something. I don't recall. And then that's, you know, his eye was all squinty and, and bloodshot. Um, I think for, for the show today, his alarm went off or somebody called him. And they're like, oh, crap, we're on in two minutes. Because doesn't he, doesn't he look like that? He looks like they just... He woke up and walked over there. His hair's all this direction. Well, some, sometimes people... And he's they, a pretty boy. They adopt that look. They have the tussled look. But that's the young been, Sean here has the tussled that's look. That's not been Ryan Seacrest's brand, though. Oh, he's know always... It. Everything's just immaculate. I, know I believe Kelly knows how to prep herself. I believe Ryan has a team that preps him. Ah. And that team is not with him in his home broadcast studio. That's my theory. Well, I kind of appreciate the uh, more everyman-looking Ryan Seacrest. Not that I think about Ryan Seacrest much at all. How much do you think about Ryan Seacrest uh, at night? When I'm going to sleep at night. <laughs> when I'm alone. I count Seacrest to go to sleep. <laughs> I lay down in bed alone, make sure no one's in the house, put on some candles and some music. Oh, boy. Think Draw a Ryan's... bath, of course. <laughs> think about Ryan Seacrest. Mm. <laughs> Leave the water running. Mm. 
I'll do a short version of this. If you want the long version, I did it earlier in the show, and you can get the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. But, oh, boy, we're doing this again. My head's going to explode. I really like James Lindsay. Professor Lindsay uh, teaches at Portland State. He's a math professor, PhD. Yeah. Avowed uh, liberal. And he has been fighting critical race theory like crazy. Um, actually, there was a guy on Tucker Carlson last night complaining about the anti-racist training that they gave to white somewhere. And this guy on, uh, I forget his name, it was on Tucker Carlson, said, I'm starting a one-man fight against the government forcing this anti-racist stuff down everybody's throat. And then I saw that Professor Lindsay had tweeted at him, would you like a backup? Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, now we're a two-man fight. Because these these are people that are really sharp and really good at it, and you know we're all lucky we got somebody like James Lindsay fighting these people all across the country at the academic level, and he's smart enough to pull it off. Yep. On what just a load of crap all this intersectionality, critical race theory, all this stuff is. Yeah, if it were merely a load of crap, that would be bad. But the fact that it is poisonous, it's insidious and divisive and racist. Oh yeah, he's I got mean, you have to oppose it. He's got the energy to fight it because this is dangerous. I mean, yeah. we could lose modernity over this. Yep. If, if enough people join in. And he was pointing out this Dr. Gutierrez from the University of Illinois who believes that uh, a math is, well, I'll, I'll read this. Dr. Gutierrez thinks that math has been controlled by global white supremacy. So every area of mathematics might come to the conclusions it does because of white supremacy. So even 2 plus 2 equals 4 might be racist or the result of Western imperialism. All right. Welcome to Crazyville. <laughs> what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Amen to that. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And? May God have mercy on your soul. They present as one of the examples, and it's a cartoon of stick figures, um, on how 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4. That's just been forced upon you by European white males all these years. Yeah, bullies. Two apples plus two oranges doesn't equal four apples. Is there, I guess... Big boom, drop the mic moment on. Oh, you blew my mind, man. Wow, that really makes you stop and think if you're really, really stupid. (laughs) Um, Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Some people confuse having thoughts for having intelligence. Mm. They're looking to see, and I'm reading from, I think it's this woman's uh, papers, seeing the interconnectedness between indigenous and white stream knowledge of mathematics. I choose the term white stream instead of European American to highlight the role of global white supremacy in the enterprise of mathematics education. All right. Um Dr. Gutierrez also says the idea that math can solve anything is a fallacy. She asks why math values logic over intuition and asks students to use logic instead of intuition. Because it's way better to, is why. You nut. There's not any intuition involved in mathematics. How much of my paycheck do I need to put aside to pay my electric bill? Let me use my intuition, says a crazy person. (laughs) Oh, for the love of heaven. The fact that this stuff even gets an airing, and that my my alma mater, which has admittedly fallen on embarrassing times, the University of Illinois, would employ a a crazy person and a racist like this. What are you doing employing racists, U of I? The paper offers... Burn my gear. The paper offers specific implications for teaching and learning and brings into conversation ideas from ethnomathematics. That's the thing that Professor Lindsay's been complaining about a long time. This whole ethnomathematics idea that different ethnicities have different mathematics and expecting the same answers 
uh, out of somebody of a different ethnicity as well. It's just your white male European. Uh, it's oppressive. It's oppressive. Yeah. Um, Post. I should have tried that in my Celt class in, in college that I had to drop. You're oppressing me. Uh, they're bringing in post-colonial theory, aesthetics, biology, and indigenous knowledge in order to propose, propose a new vision for practicing mathematics, what I call mathematics with an X at the end. Oh. Mathematics includes in math post-colonial theory and biology. How are post-colonial theory and biology fitting into a math equation? Well, they're not unless you're a crazy person, like an actually identifiably nutso human being. Yeah, I was just reading about uh, the Jonestown cult the other day for reasons that I won't get into, but um, I was contemplating the notion of someone convincing themselves, talking themselves into mental illness talking themselves into a behavior that is so clearly indefensible, illogical, and self-destructive, and how that happens. This woman is a particular brand of crazy. I think her neurological function is probably okay, but she has talked herself into an idea that makes no sense whatsoever. And then to defend it, you got to get crazier and crazier. I just, this is a weird phenomenon. You know, religious, whether it's religious cultists or or racists like this gal, or whatever. I just, well, how do you get there? And as James Lindsay says in some of his podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff like that, if we can't have shared agreement on things like physics and math, well, then there, there's really no hope for shared agreement on, you know, a variety of things about uh, men and women and the races and all these different things mm-hmm. where there are gray areas. Yeah. Well, and as we discussed earlier, I don't know what this babe's deal is, honestly. I have no idea, but... Uh, <laughs> this babe. <laughs> this dame. But I will. I will. Please do not use gendered language to to address everyone. Sorry, Jumbo. Mathematics with an X. Um, but the idea that the only thing that is real is what the party says is real. There is no objective fact. You cannot make an appeal to natural rights or or even math if the party tells you this is it. This is it. That's the mark of totalitarian hist- uh, uh, regimes all through history, including right now. In North Korea, if Kim Jong-un tells you 2 plus 2 is 5 or 7 or 150, you say, yes, sir, it is. The, the Enlightenment ended superstition and, 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 uh, and, and racism to a large extent as a motivating force in societies. You know, I was looking it, through. It, it didn't end obvi- immediately, obviously, but it started the process of. Listen, there's no rational reason to believe a black man is inferior to a white man. Yeah, intuition-based thinking is what led to racism in the first place. Right, and lynchings, and oh my god, I just I can't believe this is getting any credence. And the fact that it's being labeled as anti-racism is especially insidious. Intuition, not facts. That's how you know whether that young black man actually raped that right or that white woman. Yeah, we tried that as a country. But how about being a professor at the University of Illinois or wherever you're doing it, because it happens all over the country, and you've got a job you can't get fired from, pays a good salary, you're going to sure. get a pension and health care and everything like that, and you can just think up 
any of the craziest crap. It can't be too crazy, right. and you can still keep your job, and you just write papers. Just making, I almost said S. Say you know, just, say just making S up. What a weird job. Well, not only that, Where but I, I can just imagine the craziest thing I could think of. And then just write a paper about it. Well, she's more likely to get tenure and get hired than somebody who teaches real math in these crazy times. Dogs can actually talk. It's we that can't talk. We people that can't talk. And then I just form an idea around that and write a long paper. Mm. That's just my job. I I don't think that's true. (laughs) Doesn't matter, obviously. I'll end up in the gulag. It's actually closer to... I can make a better argument for that than I can for the fact that 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4. You know... Baxter is trying to speak. Hmm. I haven't so, talked about this on the air. So is he telling you to do things? Is he telling you to hurt anyone? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. <laughs> More on that next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Breaking news! Breaking news! Get Brandon out of the stall. When news breaks, the donkey brays on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Right on time, Brandon. Excellent job. You know, you're really into that new positive coaching thing, Sean. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Here is your headline. There it is. Ex-FBI lawyer accused of falsifying documents in probe of Trump's campaign to plead guilty. Hmm. I knew that the was gonna, first to the prosecutions. I knew that stuff was going to drop today, but I didn't think it would happen while we were still on the air. I thought it'd be a late night dump, uh, you know, like they do on a Friday late night in D.C. This is big news. Kevin Kleinsmith, who worked in the FBI general counsel's office, is expected to admit he doctored an email, so it said that former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page was not a source for the CIA, even though Page had had a relationship with the agency. Relying on what Kleinsmith had said, the FBI ultimately did not disclose Page's relationship with the CIA as it applied to renew a warrant to monitor him as a possible agent of a foreign power. Uh, it's the first uh, case brought by U.S. Attorney John Durham, etc. Um, so he falsified stuff so they could get a warrant to spy on you. That's the last thing you want in this country oh uh, for gosh. any for any citizen. That seems slippery in oh. terms of slopes. Oh, yes, oh, yeah, that no is kidding. a slope I'm uh, careful on. And, and like I keep saying, if they'll do it at that level, you think they'd hesitate to do it to you when nobody would ever find out? Uh, what they do not dive into here, uh, what did I choose? The Washington Post. Um if anybody then down the chain knew what he had done or he had done it at their behest, mm. they and their lawyers are just figuring out what sort of plea deal they I was trying to figure right out. I was about to say you would only plead guilty if your lawyers told you, look, there's just there's just way too much proof that you did this. What if he did it at somebody else's order and part of the deal is I'll make a deal and I'll tell you who told me to do it? Oh. Do you think that's possible? Hmm. Yes. yes. Okay. That's cool. I was, I was going to say maybe he's going to be a fall guy. I plead guilty. It was all me nobody else i just did it on my own i'm a bad person no i have a feeling part of the the deal the plea deal is that he tells absolutely everything he knows a lawyer for klein smith said kevin deeply regrets having altered the email it was never his intent to mislead the court or his colleagues as he believed the information he relayed was accurate but kevin understands what he did was wrong and accepts responsibility those two things are utterly uh a a non sequitur i was about to say did i mishear that yes did you misread it joe no i did not well what he it was never his intent to mislead the court as he believed it was accurate but what he did was wrong (laughs) 
That sounds to me like he was told to do something that he took as true. Oh. And is now, oh, that I guess I guess I did put in false info on this thing. He's going to say somebody told me a lie. He is expected yeah. to admit he doctored an email. Yeah, you'd only change the email. Yeah, it could have been at somebody else's behest. I will also tell you, I think Michael Flynn was railroaded. I think he was entrapped is the wrong word. You want to talk about masks? They set up <laughs> they set up a, a perjury trap for him. They asked him questions so often and repeatedly and in different ways and all until they could find a a uh, an inconsistency then they charged him with lying to a federal official. Um I am highly sympathetic toward this prosecution. Um I also also think it's possible that this guy is, well, I don't know, that he's a small cog in the machine. Uh, I wonder if there's more coming today, because this is pretty early in the day for this to, you know. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. I'd, I'd heard yesterday that, that you know, this stuff was going to hit tomorrow, but I thought, well, it'll be after we're off the air, unfortunately, probably. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. That's the beginning. Uh, we have a conversation with Lon He Chen coming up in a moment or two. I always love talking to Lon He, and uh, hope you enjoy it too. I think we got a good for, one for him. A pew poll of what most people like about Joe Biden. And the vast majority like one thing about Joe Biden: his youthful vigor. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So here's one of the things I want to ask Lonnie about. New Pew poll out right now. List the reasons you're going to vote for Joe Biden. There's a whole bunch of different reasons. Okay. 6%. He is for American people and values, whatever that means. Uh, For me, it's his youthful vigor, as I said. Um But number one by far. I mean, it's not even close. I got hairy legs. 56%. Second place is 19%, to give you an idea. Okay, so this is his, his distinguishing characteristic. He is not Trump. <laughs> Lon He Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. He joins us now. Lon He, how are you, sir? Good morning. What a distinguishing factor. Well, there's no denying it. Yeah, there's, you, you, can't, yeah. you can't shade it. He is definitely not Trump. Yeah. Well, and I think this election will be an interesting test, right? We've talked about this before. Usually it's the case that enthusiasm for a candidate, uh, attributes of a candidate that people are enthusiastic about, you know, they're, 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 they seem trustworthy. They seem like they're going to be good on the economy. There's something that drives people to want to vote for that person. What we're really going to get a test for this time is how important is it that someone wants to be against? someone else and i i don't think we've we've seen a similar thing in american politics before how important is uh, swaying the persuadables as opposed to just turning out loyalists well you, you've got to do both to be successful you definitely have to turn out people who you know are going to support you uh that is one of the key things a campaign has to do to execute they've got to be able to turn out people who are going to be supporters. They're going to mobilize people who are going to get out to vote. The, the persuadables, the people who are in the middle, the people who don't necessarily know who they're voting for, who switch who they vote for from, from election to election, and that's a tougher crowd because you can say you want them to come out to vote. You can do what you can to get them out there. 
but they tend to turn out at far lower rates than people who you know are diehard supporters. So you've got to reach out to them, sure, but it's a little bit of a challenge to convert them and to guarantee they're going to show up. Biden ain't going to come out of his hidey hole much. She's not going to say much. What do you think about the idea of Trump trying to run against Kamala Harris like she's the top of the ticket? Well, you know, I think that is their best call because of a few things. First of all, you know, if you look at Kamala Harris's record, she's actually quite liberal. I know that a lot of the media tries to make her out into some kind of moderate. But if you look at her voting record, her voting record is just as liberal, if not more liberal than Bernie Sanders. Uh, Wow. Running against her, running against her actually gives you the ability to define uh, the Biden-Harris ticket as the far left. So that, that's the first issue. But the second issue, guys, we talked about this before, too. With Joe Biden's age and the fact that he, you know, it's unlikely he's going to want to run for a second term or be a second term president. It is fair to say that this election does come down to Trump and Harris. So I think running against her is not only the best strategic move for the Trump campaign, but also, frankly, is a, is a realistic way to think about this election. This election is not Biden versus Trump. Yes, Biden will be president if he's elected. But it is about a, a vision for where the country is going to go. And Kamala, Kamala Harris is going to have a, a huge impact on that vision, to be sure. She doesn't seem to wear well. She didn't on the campaign trail. And you know, we keep reminding people all week long, she got out before Iowa. She didn't even make it to Iowa. How crazy would it be if she ends up president when she wasn't even popular enough in her own party to make it to the first contest? Yeah, I mean, I think people do forget. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about how she is an effective campaigner or how she's got experience. But you're right. Her experience as a presidential candidate wasn't great. It's not like she had some, you know, bang up campaign and and came up a close second to to Joe Biden. So we are really going to see her tested a little bit on the on the on the stage in the way that I don't think she was tested as a candidate for the nomination. You know, I've seen this over and wow, over again. Wow, and she could where, not pass that test. But sorry, I interrupted. Go on. No, no, no. It's because I was say you've you got people, you know, many times in, in history who uh, have run for the presidency, and then when they actually get onto the ticket, they are tested in a very different way. This spot, the spotlight and the exposure, particularly on this campaign, is very, very different. We uh, discussed this a bit earlier, Lonnie, but uh, Brett Baer had an interesting conversation back and forth with Jared Kushner last night on Special Report. They were talking about polls and what they show currently, and and Jared was questioning the methodology of the Fox poll and, and, and you know whether it should be likely voters and not registered voters. But um, I was talking to my daughter, who's interning for a, a major polling company right now, and she mentioned that polling has really changed since 2016. That was a huge wake-up call for the polling companies. Are, are you up, up on that uh, uh, topic? Yeah, I mean, so so there's a few different changes that that have come to light. I mean, one is the question of how you how you handle cell phones, right? Because as years have gone on, more and more respondents have answered uh, via cell phones. They don't have landlines, which makes them harder to geolocate. Sometimes uh, you've also got the question of what you do about online polling or polling that's taken via the internet and how effective and and whether you can in fact make that uh, a a accurate measure of what people are thinking. So there's both the the idea of how do you incorporate uh, Internet responses as well as the question of how you incorporate cell phones? And both of those issues, uh, as the methodology has gotten finer and they've refined it a little bit more, it is becoming more and more accurate. So I, I would say this. I think the polling this time around um, will reflect a lot of changes since 2016, that there's reason to believe that these changes will make the polling uh, more accurate. But I guess we'll see, you know, come the election. We're talking with Lon He Chen, uh, who you see on all the big TV shows all the time, because he's among the best 
there there is out there about talking about this sort of stuff. Speaking of uh, Jared Kushner, as Joe brought him up, the Middle East peace deal that came out yesterday, I feel like if it was 1978 or maybe 92, this is a big deal, but does anybody care about that anymore? Well, they should. I mean, well, I agree with that, a, but do they actually it, care? It, it, no, I mean, foreign policy tends not to be important in elections. We know that, you know, it, we haven't had a foreign policy national security election since 2004. Uh, when George W. Bush ran against John Kerry in, in the aftermath of 2001 and, and the 9-11 attacks. Uh, this year, you know, I don't anticipate voters are going to care very much. The reason they should is because it's an important part of the world. The developments that we're seeing between the UAE and Israel in terms of normalization of relations is a really big deal uh, because it's, it's a region that has been fraught. And the idea that there can be some progress uh, in this regard, I think is very important. But no, I, I don't think, look, in the same way that voters don't care about, you know, what's happening in Venezuela or what's happening in, in South America, they might care a little bit about the China trade situation because that's a little bit more personalized in terms of the economic impact. But, but national security issues tend not to, to have a big uh, play in the election. If, oh, I'm asking you to prognosticate. Which is not fair. Um, but if the administration announced, say, mid-October, um, we are days away from improving an effective, safe vaccine. Uh, the COVID thing should be over by uh, December, by, in time for Christmas. You'll be able to gather with your families. We've been busting our butts to get this. How big a uh, an effect on the election do you think that would have? I I think it would be significant for people who are sort of undecided or, or aren't sure exactly, you know, where they want to go in the election. Uh, and, and, you know, how big of a population that is, we'll have to see. But for people who are died in the wool Trump supporters or died in the wool Biden supporters, it's not going to it's not going to affect them. You know, the Biden supporters will see it as a cynical ploy on the part of the president to influence the election. And Trump supporters will see it as as their president delivering, you know, yet another victory. Um, but but the reality is that, you know, even if we have a vaccine at that period of time, it's going to take a while to get it distributed. And there are very real questions about the efficacy and what it's going to look like. So I, I just think that so much of our politics is already baked. I'm just not sure even that big piece of news has, right. has an impact. But there's right. no question it would be a positive impact for the president. I agree. I just, you know, we, we like to say everybody's needle is stuck. I just can't imagine yeah, I'm just trying to picture it in terms of turnout and enthusiasm, though, because the president, for uh, all of his low marks on various topics, uh, has gotten his lowest marks, I think, in dealing with um, uh, the COVID. Actually, the race yeah. stuff is, is pretty bad, too. He still yeah. leads Biden on the economy, though, I saw in the latest poll. Yeah. Which is interesting. Hey, my final comment, uh, Lon, he is, I thought Biden looked even older this week than he looked back during the debates. I mean, I don't know if that's just the lighting of his home office, but... Man, if he ever gets out there, I think people are going to find out how old he is. Well, right, and I think that's why you're seeing the Biden campaign put him in very controlled settings. And by the way, it doesn't help that he's campaigning next to Kamala Harris, who's very, you know, very young looking. Um, that that contrast, I think, is not helpful for him. But there's there's no question that I think he he, he does look more uh, more worn, more well worn, let's just say now than he did, you know, last year. Wow. Mm. He'd have to run next to Montgomery Burns to not look older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Lon Hee Chan, David and Diane uh, Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution. It's always enlightening. Thank you so much, Lon. He will talk soon. Thank you, guys. Yeah, our listeners like it, and I like it, so I'm, gl- oh, I'm heck glad yeah. it comes on you. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to figure out turnout. 
I don't like the other guy is not famously a great turnout energy. As he said, it's never it's never worked. Right. And and given it the fact this that time, but... 56% of, of Biden voters said that's his greatest distinguishing characteristic. I mean, that is a that's some weak sauce in terms of generating turnout. Well, I think for all the alleged passion out there, I think that speaks to the unique uh, unappealing quality Trump has for a certain group of people. I don't think we've ever had anything like that before. Yeah, I'm just reminded of the vaunted youth vote that we've heard about every four years for my entire lifetime. And you feel the energy, and you see the kids, and you look at the campuses, and it never materializes. Stop it! (laughs) So, oh, oh, no, people really hate Trump. So, uh, yeah, they'll they'll turn out. I don't know. But mail-in balloting, will young people, I don't know. I, I can't now. The modern voter, mailing it in. When I was young, getting an envelope and the stamp and getting it in the day, it, it just wasn't going to happen. So. Not a chance. <laughs> yeah, please. I, if there was a life-saving drug that I needed, but I had to mail away for it, nah, I'll just die. <laughs> I don't know, what's the zip code? How do you even figure that out? Ah, I'll just perish. <laughs> I had a good run. <laughs> those debates you landed haymakers on joe biden i mean they were his teeth were like chiclets all over the stage and now i believe you that you're fully supportive of him how does that transition happen how do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you and and now you guys seem to be pals it was a debate Not everybody landed punches like you did, though. It I mean, was a debate. So you don't mean it. It was a debate that the whole reason, literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate. Everyone I understand. Travel to the debate. There were journalists there covering the debate where there would be a debate of differences of opinion and issues. Okay. I am 1,000% supportive of Joe Biden, and I will, again, do everything I can to make sure he is elected. She is incredibly annoying. Uh, Yeah. She annoyed America away from her campaign. And, and number one, Stephen, no, she didn't land giant haymakers that left his teeth on the stage. Her big win with the I was that little girl did her no good. And and a, a, a day later, everybody realized, well, that, that was dramatic, but nobody wants forced busing, including no, she, her. <laughs> she doesn't wear well. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, because I was, I was high on her, not her politics, but her as a candidate. I thought, man, she's going to be good. And then handicapping. You, yeah. you see her a couple of times, you're like, all right, you, you only have one gear, that head nod thing and that tone of voice. And it just every time. Oh, but I thought that was really interesting. And Colbert's always been good at that. He did that on his old his old show. He kind of laughs and smiles and makes it, but he but he brings out things, yeah, like that. So that was all fake. You didn't mean it. He's smiling it and was laughing. A debate. And she agrees. Yeah, it's just all phony. 
And then it turns out the reporting is that that's what Biden liked about her was that she, you know, she went for the juggler like that on yeah. a debate stage. Yeah, she, even though he was, wanted somebody who can gut somebody. So it's phony on both ends. She was being phony attacking him. He was being phony, you know, responding. It's just, oh, interesting, interesting move over there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't. It's not personal, but I don't think that makes it phony, right? Like I, I think they were real points and trying to score blows, but it, they they have entered the arena of combat. The same reason when you talk to a boxer after the match, they don't go, well, I'm filing assault charges. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. uh, but you, you would, you know, maybe I'm a sap, but I would think if you stood up there and basically called the guy a racist because as a little girl, you didn't get to go to school, that you'd have some personal, you know, animosity tied into that. Well, and it's just a nothing. It's just well, like uh, like uh, I said the other day, like Sean's indicating, uh, she earned his respect with her sword play. Yeah, he understands what was going on. Well, that's clearly the case. Yeah, yeah. clearly right. Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what, uh, and listen, this is not rooting. This is not my emotions running away with me. This is uh, I've observed this sort of thing for a number of years now. Biden's been in the basement for two reasons. Number one, Trump's unpopular, so why upset the apple cart? Okay, But number two, Biden's terrible. (laughs) To the extent that he emerges from the basement, he will lose support. He'd never won a state in in two times running for president. Right. And in the first three contests this time around. Yeah, and it was only the the nice black folks in South Carolina that gave him a, a real fighting chance. It's when all the party powerful said Bernie's going to win. Holy crap. So Biden is dangerous to himself and he's got to come out of the basement going forward. You combine that with the fact that his veto choice You're not choice, just talking about his driving at night. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> the the fact that his veep choice is similar in that the more you see her, the more you can't stand her. Well, maybe they can avoid being seen. They have peaked as a a, a, a team. No, we'll see. We will see. Yeah. You'll be forced to admit I was right. Well, if, <laughs> you'd be right if they had to go out, but I don't think they have to come out. See, that's the thing. I don't think they have to come well, out. Well, we'll see if you're right. <laughs> huh? Hey, kids. Yeah. It's that time again. With Armstrong and Getty. That's part of my arguing on Fairly's seminar is when you agree with someone, strike a tone as if you don't. <laughs> just to weird them out. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's just what I said. <laughs> Why are you why are you talking like that? Here's your host for final thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's uh, get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the week. It's Michelangelo pressing the buttons. Michael. Yeah, earlier we talked about ice cream trucks, and now I got an ice cream craving. Mint chip, cookies and cream, Rocky Road, get my belly. Get my belly. <laughs> or I'll have pizza. Yeah, a boy. Positive Sean, our producer. Final thought. False choice, Michelangelo. Have both. Um, I had a Chinese food yesterday, which only means one thing. I got leftovers of Chinese food today. That's a, it's a glorious good. day at Chateau Relaxo. Oh, you got life beat. Uh, Jack, a final thought to share? So much of this food related. So Laura and Henry are going on a road trip to a new doctor. So they're going to be gone for a couple of days. And Sam is already making plans for what we're going to do. The, the the various superhero movies we're going to watch. The pizzas we're going to order. It's just going to be an orgy of uh, Marvel movies oh, and yeah. bad food. Oh, yeah. That's what he's hoping for. Yeah, sounds perfect. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My final thought is kid-related, too. My uh, my little one, my soon-to-be 21-year-old, is flying back to her real life after a five-day-or-so visit. So we'll be hanging out today, then going to the airport tomorrow. But, uh, ah, it's been great. It's been really fun. 
Did you have an orgy of Marvel movies and food? Probably not Marvel movies, but maybe food. No, we mostly talk about art and uh, argue about politics. You don't eat? You just don't do it. Yes, we eat. And she has the metabolism of a 20-year-old. So there's too much eating. Too much. Stop it. (laughs) I can handle anything but temptation. So there she is with, you know, whatever. Hey, I'm going to Panda Express. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm old and fat. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We'd love to hear from you. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com is our email address. If there's something we ought to be talking about or you want to register an opinion. Uh, also, all the swag is there. It's it's fun. You can buy it. Give it as presents. All the podcasts are downloadable. If you missed something today, uh, armstrongandgetty.com. If anything big happens, we'll be tweeting. Follow us on the Twitter. See you Monday. God bless America. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from not planning, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. Time. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>